With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to Pit Pass Moto, the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings the biggest names in motorcycle racing right to you. I'm PJ Doran. I'm Dave Selecki. This week on Pit Pass, we have Bobby Fong and Jake Lewis, both really fast, really, really fast young racers. But first, with the latest news, here's Dave. Oh, hey, it was a great uh, weekend of Supercross again. They uh, kicked off the Eastern Series rounds in Tampa, and our winners of the 450 class were Eli Tomac with first. We had Webb with second and Ken Roxon in third. And just, I'll tell you, there were a lot of stories behind the story on that 450 uh, racing PJ, awesome! Yeah, awesome man racing. Tell me again, it just feels like uh, it just feels like it's building, and he's he's a guy who's is so good. He's overdue for this. Tomax the man, as we've said, I say it every week, and so it's good to see him at the front. Couldn't agree more. And uh, you know, he whole shots his heat and just checked out. He he just was on another level. I think this weekend and and really on a one of the factors of the whole weekend was the track. It was deceptive because it looked like one of those good East Coast high traction situations and it broke down to a mess by you know the the 450 class getting out of there after all the heats it was just getting slippery and they had this sand section in there that just it took a lot of victims all night oh yeah i saw since rulo in his heat i mean swap huge which he gave up the lead when that happened i think i watched him uh you know, the swap caused his lead, loss of lead, and it was, it didn't look like fun. He's as fast as one can be, and it gave him a hard time. Yeah, to me, it was the difference maker in the night was that sand section, because that's where Tomac made his big pass and just checked out. I mean, it definitely separated a lot of riders from, you know, the guys who just weren't used to it, and uh, just not a real typical East Coast track, you know, a little tougher than it kind of looked, but really, for a good night of racing, it, it definitely brought some drama. 250 class was another big story. I tell you what, Shane McElrath, we interviewed him a couple weeks ago, and, and there's really nobody on his level. He won his heat by a mile, pulled the whole shot and checked out, and then in the main, just absolutely destroyed the class. There's there's really not a lot of competition there. Yeah, that's that's not altogether surprising. He's a next-level rider, and yeah, 450 guys are probably starting to pay attention about now. Yeah, and the story behind the story was McElrath leaving TLD and going to the star team and you know, completely starting his whole program over, new bike, new trainer, new location. He moved to California. So for him to come out there and do that and cook the class was was pretty amazing. Sexton looked good, the defending champ in the class. You know, first round in, ends up second. He worked his way up. He didn't get a good start. You know, it turned out to be a good night for him. I just don't know if he's on that same level, man. They just, McElrath's got a little bit extra, and it was good to see. The other big story of the night was uh, Jeremy Martin coming back from, I think, almost two years off. He had a fractured vertebrae in his back. And uh, for him to come back and do what he did 
was was pretty amazing. So correct me if I'm wrong, Dave. Is there more to that story about Jeremy? I thought there wa- there was. Maybe I misheard this. Uh, was there something about him and a and a sample performance enhancing stuff? If I got that twisted, not that I heard on J Mart, but the other big story of the night was Brock Tickle coming back after two years suspension. Okay, so that's what I was thinking of. Uh, it wasn't Martin. I did hear that, but it pertained to Brock Tickle. Yeah, and the great thing about it is he looks solid. He, I think he got fourth in his heat. He didn't make the top 10 but in the final, but he was close. I think he finished 11th or 12th without checking. But anyway, that's a big story. I mean, he finally got clear of his suspension. That was one that sat on the table for too long. Again, same old story. It was one of the old, you know, WADA in- instances, but... Uh, you know, give him credit. A guy who just, you know, he he kept training, stayed on the bike the whole time. Last minute, JGR came in and scooped him up and gave him a ride, so he's good for Supercross. Yeah, it's going to be anxious to see how he does for the rest of the year. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that story for sure. All good racing, so it was a good night, and uh, really, really, uh, it's, it's cool to see the new mix of 250 riders, and as they head uh, back west a little bit, they're going to go back to Texas for the next round and uh, see how this... 250 class shakes out. I really think I mentioned it last broadcast was I think the 450 class is kind of shaped up to what it's going to be. Webb is in the hunt. Roxon's in the hunt. But I think Tomac's at another level and I'm glad to see it. It's going to be good. Yeah, I think it's going to be those three guys. I think that's pretty clear. Certainly there are other guys I think that could win on any given night. But, you know, obviously since Rulo, he's an any night type of guy. He could pull it out if... Uh, if things are going his way, and he could put a win on the box. Yeah, well, he whole shot, whole shot the main, and uh, he looks solid until he kind of, he kind of got a little squirrely in that sand section I mentioned. So it was a little rough on him, which is kind of funny because I think he lives in Florida. <laughs> yeah, no, no doubt, no doubt. He's uh, by no means it's by no means a slight to Cian Cerullo. He is racing the fastest, best guys in the world at Supercross. Someone who's watching doesn't understand what's going on, might say he has a habit of fading near the end of a race. I don't think he's really fading. I think the other guys are just that good, really. You know, any misstep is amplified because of how talented the guys around him are. Yeah, especially in that class. And if, you know, you think back through other careers that started Lumpy, that first year is always rough for, for, for rookies coming to the 450 class, a deep end of the pool. They're going to struggle. They're going to crash. They're going to do a lot of things. There's another name in Supercross racing that had that happen to him, and that's Ricky Carmichael, his first season on the Kawasaki. Yeah, it was Supercross a very bumpy was, season. He 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 imploded. I mean, he had he looked terrible out there. But then, after a year, turned around, looked real, always solid. You know, the guy was kind of setting the standard back in the day, actually. So, who knows with AC? He's got the talent. I think he's uh, he's a big boy on the bike, uh, you know, size wise, and uh, he's a good fit. It's going to be. Kind of exciting to see him develop, I think, over the next two seasons to see what he's going to turn into. Absolutely. I mean, I think he's going to be uh, someone to watch in the coming seasons. And also, um, you know, Malcolm Stewart, I just get the feeling he's really starting to break through. He, he's just right at the cusp of putting his stamp on this, you know, because he's always so fast. When he's, when he's got it going, he's incredibly fast. And he was extra motivated this weekend because his brother showed up to kind of, you know, cheer him on. So uh, James Stewart walking the pits and, and kind of tutoring uh, Mookie over the course of the night. And he looked pretty good early on. He did, like you said, he, he faded a little bit. But really, his teammate, again, comes out there, pulls a top five. Hill, just uh, he's, he's one of those riders that just 
I don't think anybody expected him to be be doing this well, and here he is up against the the factory guys on that, I guess, somewhat privateer MCR Honda. Yeah, that that is an impressive ride by him. And your guy Anderson, he just had another rough night. He just can't buy a break this year, it seems, ever. I think this is the year where he's just got to get through the Supercross season and hope that the outdoors goes better. Because uh, he just, every every turn he takes, it just seems to go wrong. You know, you just have those those kind of race nights. He's having a whole bunch of them. Yeah, we hope for Anderson's sake things turn around. They need to turn around for him, and, and we're pulling for him. Uh, he's obviously a talented rider. Just the stars have not aligned for the guy and uh, on a regular basis. We hope that changes. One last point, jumping back to the 250 class. There was a privateer in the 250 class that just, I think, impressed a lot of people. Kind of surprised me. I was really impressed with uh, Joey Crown. Now, he's a he's riding a privateer bike, yet he's going to be pulling top 10s in that 250 class against some pretty stout competition. It's going to be interesting to kind of watch Joey because he's a, he's a young rider, up and coming, starting to develop. So I'm going to be checking in on him round around to see how he's doing. Cool. Well, Dave, what do we have for uh, trivia this week on Pit Pass? This week's Pit Pass Moto Trivia Question of the Week. What year were radial tires introduced to motorcycling? So we'll uh, learn about that later on in the show. All right, all right. Welcome to Pit Pass. Today, Bobby Fong, 2019 Moto America Super Sport Champ, will be joining us. You're going racing this year with the M4X Star Suzuki team. That's now the factory team. That is the road racing world team, as I recall. Welcome back to the show. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. And hopefully, uh, looking for a good year this year, and uh, hopefully to talk to you guys a lot more during the season to uh, make make it exciting for you guys. Something to talk about, you know. You had a great season last season, Bobby. We can talk a little bit about that, but I'm really stoked for you getting on this team. How's it feel, you know, from uh, your side of the fence? These guys running uh, this team are no joke. It's a hot rod team in the series. Oh, uh, took long enough, huh? <laughs> you know, took, took long enough, but uh, yeah, we're here now, so definitely going to do the best, do the best I can with, you know, the Superbike program, and, you know, you could call this a, a factory super, Suzuki Superbike, so I'm uh, excited to get the ball rolling and i think we're testing here in a few weeks right before the barber test the official barber test moto america official barber test so looking forward to uh see what the what the suzuki has to offer i never actually i rode jake lewis's superbike one time in daytona but you really can't gauge a suzuki superbike at daytona it's such a different place and with the banking and the infield so funky but i'm looking forward to actually see what the suzuki has on actually real racetrack and are you going to be, uh, speaking of Daytona, Bobby, and it being the first, other than testing, the first real action of this upcoming road racing season, and we all know Daytona not a part of the Moto America series, but there certainly are um, a lot of riders heading out for it. Are you going to have any involvement at Daytona, Bobby? Other than spectating, no. I know uh, Team Hammer's not going to do it this year. Obviously, with them taking over the Suzuki program in the U.S., they have a lot going on, and I know they're kind of going crazy in Alabama with uh, organizing everything and getting things ready for actual uh, the barber test, which is a few days beforehand, which is actually going to be such a time crunch if they did Daytona. So they decided not to do it this year. So I'll be uh, spectating, but be there in uh, be there in spirit for sure on on the racetrack. That's awesome. It's worth mentioning as this year has developed the changing of the guard at uh, the Suzuki American team. 
You would call it the American Factory Race Team for Suzuki Motor Company, a motorcycle company now being, as you pointed out, run by Team Hammer. It's a big change from what we've seen historically, but we also know Team Hammer is one of the oldest road racing teams in America, if not the oldest. Do you know that, Bobby? Are they, in fact, the oldest? I don't know if they're the oldest, but they 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 definitely know what they're doing, and there's a reason why they're here. The one of the long, definitely top three, one of the longest teams, and you know there's a reason why. You know, John and Chris Ulrich are definitely smart dudes, and they they run a, a tight ship, and they're businessmen. So, you know, obviously uh, they've been competitive through 35, 40 years, and they're trying to keep the streak alive. And there isn't two better guys to run the Suzuki program in the U.S. So, I think they'll do a good job, and we have plenty of riders on the team who's more than capable of winning in every single class, so that's that's exciting. The move from the 600 to the 1,000, what uh, what do you do differently for yourself in a mindset getting from the 600, which you know well, obviously, you've been very successful, getting on the big bike now? and it, Is there things you do differently personally, or is it just strictly setup changes that you make to the bike? Well, for, for one, I got to start eating again. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I don't have to worry about weight too much, which obviously weight is a big factor, and even in Superbike, but, uh, you know, I'm not going crazy over it like I was on the 600, you know what I mean, trying to be under 150 for me. My body likes to sit around 150, 155, and try to be in the 140s for me is it's definitely pretty hard because it's just, no matter how much I train and eat, I, I actually have to skip meals to be in the 140s for myself, which is pretty tough, but uh, that, other than that, the training thing stays the same. I have the same type of training plan. I've been doing the same type of training since I was 16 years old. Same trainer, same everything. Definitely don't have a problem with fitness or anything like that. So that's that's going to be a plus mindset. Just going in the same thing. Maybe uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't know how my obviously uh, the 600s. I was going into it from race one, trying to win everything. The superbike. I might have a little different approach just because I don't know what to expect yet. I haven't been on the bike, so we'll know. We'll have a better a lot better gauge by barber time here in three weeks time just to see where i'll be at for round one because the season's only two months away and i don't know how competitive i'll be right off the bat who knows i mean i could say i i will be but who knows i know i'll adapt to the bike quite well i'm sure i'll have a lot better gauge on my mindset after after barber because i might need to just stay you know positive and confident and just keep chipping away at it or i might just be go to the round one just said hey we could win this thing you know so who, who knows obviously the goal is to win yeah and let's hope so i mean that's uh that's a that's a jump and so is it maybe phys- getting physically stronger is maybe more important on the thousand than the 600 not necessarily like you said not the weight but just be you know more muscular yeah for sure i mean i'm always i'm always kind of just a little bit of muscular more muscular guy than some of the racers you know sometimes i wish i was a little smaller but believe it or not um I'm going to do the same type of training, just obviously not skip meals. You know, like on the 600, I would do the intermittent fasting and fast for, you know, a few days during the week or just to try to every, every ounce, you know, does every pound does count. And uh, especially racing against uh, somebody like PJ Jacobson, who's just naturally small. And, you know, you have a, definitely a lot of riders who are naturally small. So that was always tough. But yeah, I get to start actually doing my three meals a day again, which is nice. But the physical training is definitely going to be the same. And obviously, you definitely definitely have to have some strength in that superbike because the races are a little bit longer. Well, actually, I don't know. They might have cut the races a little bit shorter this year. For I heard rumors about that, so I'm not sure. So they haven't made that, obviously, public yet if, if you're not 100% clear on it. But 
So there may be some flex there. Do I understand this right? Bobby, Josh Hayes is going to be working with you this year as a riding coach. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. He was with me last year, and actually he's been with me since uh, 2018 now. So that's uh, this is our third year working together, which it's been good. Yeah, definitely have no complaints. We uh, we talk almost every day and give each other hell almost every day. Just uh, just <laughs> I just give them crap all day long, <laughs> you know. But uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm excited to uh, I'm excited to work with him again, and uh, we became you know good friends over the time we've been working together. And you know he definitely doesn't hold anything back, and uh, you know tough love between us for sure. Do you happen to get involved with the J Force camp at all? I mean, in addition to him being a riding coach for you, I mean, is it is there some activity with the t- with the camp also yeah yeah i did i did a camp last year but unfortunately uh less than a week before the camp actually started i was in the gym and kind of twisted my ankle a little bit just literally just doing box jumps on the on the bench so i was uh that kind of took me out for the camp because i really couldn't i couldn't cycle i couldn't ride a dirt bike for you know a few weeks so i definitely didn't want to push it because I know we have to test on the superbike here very soon, so I didn't want to push that. So unfortunately, I had to miss that thing, which was a bummer. Because I was wishing I was being, I wish I was there because I, I do learn a lot. And it is good training and riding with some fast guys on uh, the WRs and TTRs is actually a, a good time, a good time for sure. Who are you training with? Well, for that matter, Bobby, who are your teammates this season on the M4 XR team? Well, Tony Elias for one is my, you know, the the first person I. Obviously, on the, he's on the superbike, so we'll be in the same class. Tony Elias, we have uh, Sean Dale and Kelly in the 600s. I know there's some other announcements. I haven't. I'm not sure if they're out yet, but I'm sure all the rumors are out there. I know that Alex Demas is going to be with the team again. We have uh, Lucas Silva, and um, we have uh, Joe Blasius for the SVs. All the names I just named definitely capable of winning every single class they're racing. So it's a uh, going to be a big year for team hammer yeah that is an impressive lineup when you said uh sean Dillon kelly he's one of the youngest gun guys out there currently i know there's always a new youngest guy out there but last year he came in swinging for the fences looking forward to a really strong team it's a lot of fun watching we've been talking to you for years during your various team rides the rides you've had you've had some incredible rides you've had incredible seasons so it's a feel-good story at least from my perspective that you are exactly where you belong on uh, a front running bike which as we know tony elias has more than proven uh, it's a front runner so it's going to be exciting for you this year man and again congratulations for getting where we always knew you belonged yeah thanks guys you know it took you know, I've been racing professional since I was 15 years old. And, uh, you know, I've been on a thousand different teams and good opportunities, bad opportunities, but I learned a lot. And uh, Josh Hayes was saying, uh, you know, I didn't get on a fa- It took Josh Hayes basically most of his career to get on a factory team. But uh, when he finally arrived, he made it worth it. So it's kind of the same way here. And it took me a long time, but I'm going to make it worth it and do the best I can and uh, more older, more wiser. And uh, I'm thankful to have this opportunity even this late in my career. Yeah. And I mean, you're still by the world standards, a young man, Bobby. I'm only 28. So uh, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not too, too old, but uh, you know, you're not over the hill. I'm not over the hill yet. And in racing, just unfortunately or fortunately, it breeds or brings forward the belief, pushes the idea that you got to be crazy young to be competitive. Well, you don't have to be in all forms of racing, road racing, motocross, supercross. You know, that is sometimes a belief. 
but we see in those forms of racing, there's always a guy who's in the middle of the career, you know, guys that, uh, it seems like you're at the midpoint of a career. It's been a good one. Does it feel that way to you, Bobby? Yeah, I know because every time it goes during this, like right before the season, I'm like, you know, yeah, I've been here a thousand times before, but it always feels like the, you know, one of the first years I've started racing, not like just the nervousness, you know what I mean? Just like the excitement and just the feeling of like, man, it's like going back to school. You know what I mean? Not saying like, oh yeah, here we go again. You know, it's always like a first day of school thing for me. So it's definitely, uh, my body feels like it's middle of the middle <laughs> middle of the middle of my career but um you know definitely road racing uh your career span is I, I would think a little bit longer than most motorsports like motocross and all that stuff i don't see you don't see many motocrossers in their mid-30s but maybe one or two and even then you know what i mean it's it's definitely tough because those motocross is so hard on your body and what you have to do to be competitive in motocross it's uh it's ridiculous and how much they what they have to do and how much they have to ride so the risk, uh, the risk factor is a lot higher, but you know, in road racing, you have, a, you know, the, you have the Josh Hayes, you have the Rossies and you have a lot of people in GP that are their mid to late thirties. So hopefully, uh, you know, I last that long, but obviously the, the moment I'm not competitive anymore, that's the time I'm going to step out of the game. Well, we believe it's going to be a long time before that's going to be an issue for you. So you're going to go down and spectate at Daytona. That's going to be great are you doing the whole bike week thing or are you just going down for the double header on saturday i think i'm gonna go just do the double header because we test uh two days before daytona two or three days before daytona and uh at barber motorsports park so i'm just gonna drive down it's a few hour drive and just kind of hang out and have a lot of a lot of buddies and uh you know obviously hayes is gonna do the daytona 200 so i'll be his uh maybe pit little girl or something like that who knows um, <laughs> but definitely umbrella girl yeah yeah that's uh that's probably the right job for you, Bobby. Umbrella girl. But uh, definitely stand before all the riffraff. And, or not stand for the whole riffraff of bike week. So I'm just going to go there for the races and fly back home and get back to work. Yeah, so regarding that race, anybody maybe you have to pick uh, because he's your buddy and he's your coach. Who's your pick, man? It's a stacked field. It seems like every day uh, somebody new is announcing that they're going to be running in the Daytona 200. And it's just mind-boggling the talent you're gonna, that they're going to have out in this field. Well, not not uh, not only is um, I want Hayes to win the thing because he's my coach. It's it would be it be a good deal. Hayes, you know, coming back after you know being in the factory Yamaha team and you know doing something with him and his wife and putting this program together, just kind of a family deal and going out to the two hundred and you know I think he sets a record too or something like that if he wins a two hundred. So honestly, I want I want Josh to win just because he's a good dude, not not because we're friends, because he's just a humble guy. I think he deserves it and. It'll be a, it'd be good. It'd be a good story. Yeah, he's an incredible human, and he puts in all the work for a guy half his age. He's putting in all the work. Talking to him, talked to him a couple. We, we talked to him all the time a couple weeks ago. We talked to him when he was getting ready for Australia, and he had a real good run there. I don't know how many more times though he's uh, he's gonna. How many more years is his wife gonna hire him if he doesn't put it on top of the box? Uh, I, <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. Well, I know she's brutal. She's brutal itself, so definitely if there's any nerves, it's definitely from his wife. Yeah, she's a tough lady. I would not want to be in the pits if uh, he boneheads it in any way, shape, or form. That would not be yeah, a fun day. Uh, the mental abuse there is unreal. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, it's been a pleasure talking to you. We're so stoked for you and, and your new season, Bobby, coming up. Uh, before we say goodbye, we definitely want to give you a chance to thank any of your sponsors, any of your people 
that have uh, helped you along the way. I know it's been a nice long ride for you. And uh, who would you like to say thanks to? My mom and dad for letting me stay on the couch my whole career. So that's what, that's basically people. That's what, that's what people I want to thank right now. Thanks again, Bobby. Congrats on the new ride. Best of luck in the upcoming season. I look forward to catching up with you at a couple of the races upcoming. I'll come find you and uh, say hey and go get them, man. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Bobby Fong, for a wonderful interview. Best of luck this year. And back with the answer to our trivia question of the week, Dave. All right. This week's Pit Pass trivia question of the week was, what year were radial tires introduced to motorcycling? And I remember this because I was around at this time. It was pretty interesting. So in 1983, the production Honda BF1000R was using Pirelli tires that were radial design. So... I don't remember that back in the 80s, but I do remember not long after that, the Michelin tires came out in 1987. And all my friends at Road Race were just raving about radial tires on motorcycles and the change in feel and how the motorcycle acted. Yeah, that was a watershed moment for sure for the sport. The VFR 1000, every every kid who was into motorcycles had that poster on their wall. I know I did. Fast Freddy Spencer standing behind it. It was just the world's coolest motorcycle at that moment. So when those tires came out and you rode them the first time, PJ, do you remember what that felt like on the bike? Was there a significant difference in feel or turn-in or hookup? Or... I would have to say, Dave, that I didn't really notice it because I was young enough that I, you know, I had to beg, borrow, steal to get throttle time, and I wasn't, I wasn't capable enough to really differentiate what I was experiencing on the bike from one tire to the other. I was mostly focusing on burnouts, wheelies, and trying not to crash whoever's bike I was on slash uh, maybe stole, at least temporarily. <laughs> so you, But as you got into it, you were pretty much on radials from there on out. Yeah, absolutely, Dave. I was at the exact moment in time when my first brand new motorcycle was an 89 CBR 600. It still had bias ply tires because it was in the 600 class, even though 1000s at the time were adding uh, radials, but as everything I rode after that had radials, absolutely. Yeah, and it's uh, it hasn't changed since. I mean, that's pretty much become the standard. And that was one of those, like you said, watershed moments in motorcycling where things kind of shifted and it became a new standard, much like electronics are today, right? All motorcycles, there's not a motorcycle around that, you know, isn't heavily dependent on uh, electronics. Whether yeah, it's drive fuel by, injection, fuel injection, drive-by wire, and all of those things are coming. So that was that revolution then, and and now it's electronics. Is is your favorite form of racing? Road racing is heavily dependent on electronics. Absolutely, and I've got to say I've been able to watch over the course of many decades now the development of that. That's what riders talk about, and I bet our next guest. Jake Lewis can be very informative on the topic of electronics. I'm looking forward to talking to Jake. He's a longtime friend of the Pit Pass show, as well as mine personally. I was at Jake's first ever track day when he rode a 600 for the first time. He had, was already an accomplished racer, and that was the day that I met him. And it's been awesome watching him ever since that day. He was incredibly fast then and still is. Welcome now, Pit Pass Moto. We've got Jake Lewis, really fast road racer, currently going to be running the Bobblehead Carnes Performance Bike during the 79th running of the Daytona 200. 
He's also switching it up, and he's going to be doing a big-time AFT flat track later that night. He's going to be riding the D&D Cycles, Husqvarna FCP 450 later that same day, which I just think is amazing. Jake Lewis, welcome back to the show. Yeah, guys. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I'm actually really excited for Daytona. I think it's going to be uh, obviously going to be a really busy day and especially a busy two days. I wouldn't say I'm like overestimated how, how tough it's going to be, but uh, you know, I feel like I have a really strong chance of performing well at both the races. And obviously my goal is to go down there and I think it'd be sweet to, to win both of them. So uh, that's, that's my plan, you know, on March 14th, just try to get it done. Jake, we followed you here at Pit Pass. Uh, we followed your career since day one. As I've said, every time we get you on the air, but it bears repeating, I got to watch your first track day when you were big enough and old enough to run a 600 Clearly, you'd already been racing for quite a while. You showed up with a lot of speed that day and every day after that. I've been fortunate in that respect then to watch your career develop, and it's it's been an incredible career for you. You know, hats off. What can you tell us about it? Obviously, uh, this challenge you're facing at Daytona is somewhat unprecedented. The fact that you're able to run both races on the same day. This is the first time that's actually happening. We've just never had this opportunity for any other guy to do it and uh, I've heard there's rumors of other guys doing it do you know about that uh, I'm not 100% sure if anyone is doing like both of the events you know I haven't really heard I've been just trying to focus on myself you know and like you said it's a, just a unique opportunity to be able to do both of them uh, you know in the years past it's kind of you know unfortunate that I couldn't just because I was under contract with Suzuki so I couldn't really you know race the 200 and the tt i've went down there the past uh two years and rode the tt and did did pretty well but you know that was on a stock suzuki so uh this year you know the opportunity came up to be on a good r6 for the 200 and then also be on a really good uh 450 for the tt so like i said you know i'm looking forward to going down there and competing for the wins in both the races that day jake you've been running flat track you know last season really your entire life you've never stopped flat track racing that would be a misstatement. You did a fair number of races, as I said, last year. Do you have any concerns about, obviously, the bike's going to be a hot rod. Bobby, Robbie Bobby knows how to build a bike, put a hot rod together. Do you have any concerns about the different brand and the and the flat track race on uh, Saturday night? No, honestly, I'm actually a, little, a lot more excited uh, to be heading to Daytona this year than the previous years because, you know, the TT last year was uh, – was really fast you know we got up on the banking and uh my suzuki was definitely you know i had a stock engine so it was definitely underpowered compared to the other guys bikes so uh to be riding the defended champions bike and uh, like you said robbie bobby and the whole crew at vance and hans uh put together one heck of a husk of honor so i feel like i'll be on one of the best bikes out there for sure and uh hopefully you know fight for the win and there's some the singles class is uh, getting pretty stacked, and there's going to be some good guys I'm going up against, but uh, you know, I'm up, up for the challenge. I'm not concerned about switching brands at all. I'm actually going to go down to Pensacola a week or two before Daytona and get some riding on the Husqvarna to kind of get used to it before I show up at Daytona, which will help a lot too. And are they going to do this same layout uh, as last year? That was an interesting layout for listeners that don't know the Daytona track. It's it's always been an event, you know, the the flat track's always been at Daytona historically. It used to be outside the main road race facility, the super speedway. Now they've moved it indoors into the facility. 
You mentioned running up on the bank. Are you doing the same thing this year, Jake? That's what I've heard. You know, I heard uh, it's going to be very similar to last year, uh, but maybe even make the straightaways longer, you know, try to use more of the grass infield section. But uh, I haven't seen a video or pictures or anything of the layout, but I think it's going to be pretty similar. And it's also going to be interesting, you know, because last year, like I said, we did go up on the banking and we were bringing dirt up on onto the banking and there was a jump in the middle so i'm not sure how it's everything's going to be laid out during the day because uh you know obviously we raced the 200 that morning i think we take off at 11 o'clock and then we're going to be racing for two and a half hours whatever it is and uh so surely they'll already have the track laid out for the flat track because i mean practice starts for like four o'clock for that so it's going to be a, a busy day for both the sanctioning bodies and then especially myself so I, I see, Jake, you're going to head down to uh, Florida ahead of time to do a little practicing and get in some rounds and things. Do you, do you take the off-road bike down with you when you go? Uh, that's that's honestly why I haven't really left yet because I'm not sure what my plan is. Even though it's only like three and a half weeks away, uh, I've been doing a, a heck of a lot of off-road riding uh, this winter. And especially the, around here, you know, the weather's been been pretty bad it's been pretty cold and uh raining a lot so i've uh, been doing a lot of mud riding and mud races but uh definitely want to get down to some more warmer weather i'm just not 100 percent sure when i'm going to go down there yet because uh i might have the chance to to test the bobblehead moto uh course performance r6 at jennings beforehand so that would be uh really nice so if i do go down i'm for sure going to be taking an off-road bike and then uh my, my suzuki flat tracker just to kind of compare the bikes back to back no one can really understand this because no one's done it jake you're clearly a top level athlete the amount of training that it takes to do the 200 alone is no joke you know guys talk about it after the 200 miles fitness matters you are going to back it up immediately, go head-to-head with the f- top flight flat trackers in the world. Are you worried about that? I mean, I know you're young, you're confident, you're crazy fast. Are you concerned about that? Yeah, I mean, honestly, uh, I'm not going to lie. I, a little bit of concern for sure just because uh, it's going to be a, a definitely a physical day. But, you know, at the same time, I have been getting ready for it and trying to lean out and, you know, flexibility for Daytona 200 uh you know a big thing as well because you're hunched over for over two hours so just trying to get my body ready as much as I can but uh you know the 200 is the main thing after that you know the flat track you know there's a lot of breaks in between so uh it's not as physical as the as the 200 will be and it's more of just like sprint speeds but uh you know I've been doing a lot of the woods riding as well and doing those races has been two hours or even well over two hours and that type of riding is a heck of a lot more physical than being on a road race bike i think i'll be i'll be ready to go you know i'm not going to be too worried about it. i know i'll be really tired that night but hopefully uh you know that the day goes well and uh maybe have a few drinks that night to celebrate some wins that'd be awesome that would be killer. I think that's an awesome uh, story, and we're really looking forward to seeing it, you know, play out. So you mentioned do some, doing some off-road riding in Kentucky, stay in shape. You know, I want to know, what is in the water in Kentucky that grows great racers? They just seem to be so many that have come out of your area. Yeah, you know, honestly, I think it's just the age we started riding. You know, I started riding motorcycles when I was four years old, and uh just any type of bikes and just always practicing and trying to get better. You know, I think that's the only, only way to improve is just to practice, practice, practice. And, you know, like myself, you know, I, I like to try to, to ride any type of motorcycle, even if dirt bike, road race bike, you know, off road. It just doesn't matter as long as you try to, you know, 
get get better on the bike and perfect your skills in every area i think it helps improve overall as a rider and you know uh with us you know with us uh living close to each other you know there's a lot of us r- right around here and we've uh seemed to kind of all moved to Owensboro's the the stomping grounds now so i think just practicing with each other and pushing each other and makes us all better you know because we hate losing to each other or being slower than one another yeah it just seems to be everybody's gravitated to that same area you know the haydens and in in yourself and it just it reminds me in 1980s that town in southern california el cajon they call it the el cajon zone and you had all the great racers like ricky car or uh excuse me ricky johnson and and uh and that come out of that area brock glover and a few others but uh, it just seems like racers kind of gravitate to each other and they kind of elevate themselves together that's it seems like that's what you guys have done yeah for sure you know i actually moved to owensboro right when i graduated high school just because actually early you know earl and my dad were good friends growing up and earl told my dad i need to need to get up here to get better and to to, to train with his boys and uh just making the move and the switch to living here helped me out a, a heck of a lot when i turned professional and you know, now it's home for me. So now I have my own place. I actually just bought, bought you know, a house and 13 acres like six months ago out here in the country. So uh, I'm going to have my own little track and a little bit of a woods area for me myself and uh, just try to keep riding, you know, because a lot of the, you know, obviously the Haydens are all retired now and pretty much it's just myself and JD going to be racing as uh, Hayden and Nick. You know, it's, it's unfortunate the way the Moto America series has kind of turned because there's not a lot of options for rides anymore. So uh, now it's kind of looking like we're having to grow up and get normal jobs. Yeah, and it is unfortunate, Jake. And you mentioned JD. He's taking uh, what I consider an interesting step, and he's going flat track racing for this season. That is going to be his means to earn a living um, this year as opposed to seeing him on a road race bike. Uh, he's actively chosen... Um, Going flat tracking. Yeah, he's chosen flat track for the full season. Yeah, he signed with the Essence and Racing uh, Yamaha team. So that he's going to be doing all 18 rounds of the flat track. And as far as I know right now, you know, no road racing. So he's just putting all of his focus on that. Yeah, and it's, uh, you know, it's it's a debate we often have. We've talked about it at length, Dave, that the industry is just a bit flat. We're, we're at a really interesting point. It's not the same as it used to be. Uh, that's not u- unique to motorcycles. It's racing in general. The comparisons to NASCAR are easily made and the troubles they've had. It just boggles my mind, Jake, knowing how fast you are. As to what you're going to do this season, it, is there anything you can talk about beyond Daytona? Uh, is it a work in progress at this point? It's just, again, startling that we're not talking about your ride. Oh, man, honestly, I wish I I mean, wish I could say something positive and, you know, hoping I could have a, have a spot for in the paddock for Moto America or even flat track full time. But uh, as of right now, you know, really all I have is just a Daytona option, you know, just to race the 200 and the TT and you never know, just going to go down there and try to do my best and it might lead into something. But as far as for the rest of the season, uh, no, I don't have anything lined up. You know, I've been on the phone a lot trying to, trying to get a ride and put myself out there. But, uh, you know, there's not a lot of options as far as trying to make a living in road racing right now or, you know, even even the teams. But uh, it's still not going to give up on it. It's, you know, it's what I love to do, and it's really all I've ever known since I was a little kid. So I'm not really wanting to bite the bullet and go get a full-time Monday through Friday 9 to 5 yet. So uh, <laughs> Fight it as long as you can, please. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know, I, that's what I was telling my mom. I was like, this winter, you know, it's kind of getting to a point where I need to 
figure out if I want to move on and get a real job or try to, you know, ride the wave out and hopefully the racing and industry will turn the positive way here in a year or two. If if push came to shove, would you try to make a go of it by yourself? I know that's a big leap and, you know, it's not cheap to do. Yeah, yeah, I've actually thought about that as well, you know. I mean, as far as road racing, everything's so expensive and you have to have a lot of support sponsors and just the right package to even be competitive. So, uh as far as that goes, I don't think so for road racing, but, you know, flat track might give it a go myself. It depends on how Daytona goes and how everything goes, but uh, it's really hard to, you know, come up with the funding and be competitive doing your own program. Yeah, and I would think with the 450 singles, that's a that's an opportunity because it's a little more grassroots and it's a little more affordable for the average guy. So you could get in there and obviously with your talent, you'd you'd do well. But that's uh, that's one one nice thing to have that option versus you know going deep into the electronics and tires for road racing would add up quickly. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's just like if you've been in the paddock long enough, you know, and you know the ins and outs of each team and what. The amount of money it takes and the amount of money they spend to to be competitive. So, like you said, you know, dirt track options definitely quite a bit cheaper. And I feel like that's honestly why flat track is growing. You know, there's a, a good number of bikes and spectators watching it and getting kind of involved in American flat track. So uh, you never know. You know, that's that's the lucky thing about me. That's like what I said. I like to be good on every kind of bike, and luckily, I'm good at flat track. I'm good at road race, and then off road, I'm starting to get a little bit faster. So, just trying to cover my bases as far as every type of motorcycle goes. You know, just, I just love riding bikes and live out of my van if I had to to, to make a living doing it. Exactly, like your buddy uh, Hayden with the man in the van. Um, you're talking about off road racing, Jake. Are you doing that like GNCC stuff or just local hair scrambles or enduros? What are you running? Yeah, mostly it's uh, here late. You know, I've tried to been doing my local series. It's not, it's like a called Mid South Cross Country Series. You know, they travel to. I did one in Mississippi uh, a few weeks ago. I actually did one in Illinois yesterday. So it's mostly like southern regions. But there's actually a GNCC really close to my house, like an hour away that I'm going to be doing coming up here pretty soon. But I mean, those, those guys that run in the front, the pro class and the off-road stuff are nuts. You know, I definitely don't have the, the speed to run up front, but it's just challenging myself and it's fun to do. You know, like I said, it's a two hour race. So, I mean, physically it just wears you out and also mentally, you know, you just got to stay focused and, and keep charging the whole race because uh, if you get a little bit tired, trees don't move and uh, it hurts pretty bad crashing in the woods. It's usually how it goes, but uh, it's it's. I think what you said before, though, it's it's uh, like the 450 single class. The GNCCs grow because it's affordable, and you know more people can do it, and it's you get a lot of seat time for the money. So I, I you know, that's definitely a good avenue to go down. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's just fun to do as well. You know, that's why I uh, actually went out and bought a KTM two-stroke because I mean, you go to a GNCC race and that's really all you see is uh is orange bikes and i feel, figured i would just join the crew if i want to become a little bit better of an off-road rider and you know it's been fun to kind of make that switch and kind of just be on my own now and kind of do my own thing and enjoy doing what i'm doing did you get one of those uh tpi units jake the injected two-stroke or did you stick with the carb no i actually didn't go with that uh i had a i had a couple conversations with uh some people that have have rode them and uh you know they kind of talked me away from doing that the, the 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 first year that ktm comes out with them but uh i wouldn't think they'd be an issue but i just decided to go with the old car bike 
there's nothing wrong with them at all. You know, I think uh, where the TPI is going to shine, as I'm a dealer, I'm a dealer for KTM, so we're selling both, obviously. And the guys who I think are getting the most advantage are the guys who get to go out to, you know, um, drive in the mountains, which are like 10 hours from here. You can get there in a day. You don't have to do a bunch of setup changes if you got the TPI, really. I think that's where the advantage is. At least currently, I don't know that they are performing any better and in one scenario or another, uh, but they're awesome. Yes, thank you. I mean, I, I like it. You know, I'm old two. You know, I used to ride two strokes growing up, so I wanted to kind of get back to that. Just, just mainly for fun. And you know, even if I'm not going to be racing full time road racing or flat track, and I'm definitely going to be hitting some woods races just because it's it's cheap, it's fun, and I just enjoy doing it. Right on. Well, we've really enjoyed talking to you, Jake. We're getting near the end of our time. I want to give you a chance to thank anybody you would like to here that's helped you along the way. I know there's been a lot of them. It's been a wonder watching your career, my friend. You've really, really done everything that it seems like you set out to do. You've made a real difference in racing. You're one of the most talented racers I know that uh, doesn't have a professional ride to speak of beyond Daytona. I'm really still hopeful that you're going to be riding a motorcycle is, is a huge thing, and we just hope more opportunities come your way. You've earned them. You deserve them. But go ahead and thank anybody you'd like this time, Jake. Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, you know, you got I got to thank my family just for sticking behind me and supporting me, you know, through the ups and downs. And then as well as the Hayden family, you know, they've had my back ever since I was a, a little kid chasing my dream on motorcycles. So uh, without my family and then the Hayden family support, I really wouldn't be where I'm at today. And I say a, a big thank you to the Bobblehead Moto and Karn's performance crew just for giving me the opportunity to go chase the Daytona 200 win and try to win the Rolex and then Obviously, Robbie Bobby with D&D Cycles uh, let me ride his Husqvarna and Vance and Hans for getting behind and b- help building the bike. So I'll have two solid weapons for Daytona. You know, that's what it's what my mindset's been for the past month is getting myself as ready as I can for the the race March 14th. And hopefully, like I said, come home with two huge wins. You know, I, that's all I've been thinking about. And even over the past two weeks, I've been not been able to go to sleep at night just because I've already been picturing how the race is going to go down. So uh, really excited and looking forward to those races. Well, good on you, Jake. We can't wait to see how it goes for you at Daytona. As you know, I've been a member of your fan club since day one. We wish you the best of luck. Go get them, and we look forward to it. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. And uh, like I said, hopefully maybe I'll get back on here before too long to talk about two big wins. We couldn't be happier than to talk to you about that. And if anything else comes up in your career, if something turns up for the good, you get a ride, you want to announce it, as I totally believe that you should be getting one, please give us a call. We'd love to get you on and give you a chance to announce it. We'd love to be able to tell the world what you're up to. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me on. Thank you again to our guests for being with us today, and thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app where you'll get alerts when new episodes are uploaded. Of course, make sure you also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and pitpassmoto.com. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thank you to Ed Coolenkamp, social media contributor Chris Bishop, our producer Leah Longbreak, and audio engineers Sean Rule Hoffman and Eric Coltnow. I'm PJ. And I'm Dave. See you next week on Pit Pass.
This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.